The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Day two of the NBA Fantasy Offseason. It's Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the pod. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and this is a hoop ball presentation. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. You can follow HoopBall at HoopBallFantasy or just go to Hoop-Ball.com and get all your hooping balling needs by heading over that way. The play-in games begin tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We had Monday off, no basketball on Monday. Play-in games today, tomorrow, and then if necessary, later in the week. Tonight, Charlotte is at Indiana. Washington is at Boston. Charlotte Indy is the 9-10 game. Boston's the 7. Washington is the 8. Kudos to the Wizards, by the way, for somehow getting all the way up to the 8 seed after all this. So they get a 2-to-win-1 scenario with Charlotte and all of their injuries knocking them down. The Western Conference play-in stuff is on Wednesday. Spurs are in Memphis. That's the the 9-10 game. Grizzlies are the 9 seed. Warriors, the 8. They're in Los Angeles taking on the Lakers who will have LeBron James for that ballgame and what is a weirdly low line at the moment of four and a half, whatever that means. We do not know. My guess would be that it's been bet into and probably was hovering a tiny bit higher without actually checking to to make sure on that front. His, as public teams go, Lakers in the playoffs are certainly one of them, especially with LeBron back in the mix. Um, I promised we would talk some betting on playoff games, but play-in games, to me, are probably not the ones you want to get crazy with. Because we still don't even know who's playing for Indiana tonight. Malcolm Brogdon is questionable. That's a really big deal for the Pacers. Presumably, uh, Demonis Sabonis is good to go. And then Washington, Boston, Bradley Beal presumably will be toughing it out. Sounds like Boston's going to have all of their guys. I think Robert Williams is probable was the last I saw, but... Who knows with him, and Washington's been playing much better basketball than Boston has lately. So this is not really... These four games in particular are probably not where we're going to cash in on the sports betting side. But once the real playoffs start, which I think is probably hanging out over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken, because they're not going to have these plays. These guys play on back-to-back days. Presumably the Eastern one would finish up on Thursday. Uh, the That extra game that happens and then the West would finish Friday and then the regular playoffs probably start what Sunday or Monday I guess it could start as early as Saturday would they go Friday and have real playoff games start the same day the play in things are still going on I don't think so this is me having clearly not looked at the actual schedule for how these games go and just kind of enjoying the ride at this point because that's what we can do now folks because the fantasy season is over aside from you wild, wild diehards that are in playoff leagues, which, by the way, let's let's take a moment here at the front end of today's podcast to talk about playoff format leagues. I'm not in any this year, so I'm not going to try to feed you guys a line, but they are actually kind of fun. If you don't feel completely wiped out by the sprint that we just went through in this COVID-shortened 72-game season land of rest days and injury, playoff leagues are actually kind of cool. So... It's just the teams that are in the playoffs, 
And I would imagine that this year it probably included the play-in games, but you can probably find them that start even after the play-in stuff. The draft happens pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could have 12 teams in there if you really wanted to, but you draft exclusively from players that are in the playoffs, and all of your guys start every game. So you probably draft about 10 roster slots, give or take, and every one of your guys just goes throughout. But then you're now weighing the benefit, the cost-benefit, of how deep do I think a particular guy is going to go in the playoffs versus would a really good fantasy player get knocked out early? Like, for instance, would you take Bradley Beal with a pick? Or would you take, like, Ivica Zubats? Which seems completely inane and stupid, but there's a real chance that Washington loses two play-in games and Zubats and the Clippers play, like, 20 playoff games. So, yeah, 20 games of Ivica Zubats would be better than two games of Bradley Beal. It's kind of cool strategy to think through. I did it one time, because generally I'm so exhausted by the end of a fantasy season that I just don't want to do active moves. You can hear it in my voice, by the way, how excited I am to be doing off-season level podcasts where we can just sort of wax poetic and tell stories and talk about playoff leagues and talk about... uh, the hell we talked about on yesterday's show, uh, player correlated player absences, and we can just deep dive whatever we want while not having to worry about going to set a lineup on any given night. So there's that element to it, at least from my end. I'm running a lot of leagues. I've got this pod every day, and we're doing all this stuff for hoop ball every day, where it's kind of nice to, not, to kind of get away from the grind for just a minute or two. But for those that really want to keep it going, playoff leagues are actually kind of fun. I won it, by the way. We had a hoop ball playoff league. I think it was like four years ago. One of Hoopball's, either the first year or the second year that Hoopball existed. And Bruski set it up, and he and I actually were the two last teams hanging in there. I probably didn't choose my words perfectly there. It's not head-to-head. It's basically points league, but it's roto style. So you're just collecting points over the course of the playoffs. And I remember because I really did lean into the, I think all of these guys are going to go deep into the postseason strategy with my basically everything after like my first two or three picks and so in the finals it was a Warriors Cavs final that year I think it was actually the Draymond uh nut kick finals year with LeBron and Brew had just LeBron left and I had Dre and some lower level scrub like I had Andre Iguodala I think also and I might have even had a third guy who wasn't doing very much but every game, my guys would just inch a little bit closer. Brew had this lead on me going into the, the finals. Uh, but I had more guys that were able to hang on. And then, and then uh, no, maybe it was flipped the other way around. I think maybe I had LeBron and, and Brew had just Draymond left. So Dre kicked LeBron in the nuts. He got suspended for a day. My team jumped in front of his. And the rest is history. The only... Hoopball playoff league, or playoff league that I've been in at any point, I beat the great Aaron Bruski uh, to take first place. So that was fun for me. But I, hopefully, maybe this will inspire you guys. Maybe you'll hop into a playoff league and just give it a try. Because it is kind of fun. You don't have to do much once you make your draft picks. Decide who you think is going to go deep into the postseason. Is it going to be the Lakers from the West? Is it going to be the Jazz, the Clippers, the Suns? Eastern Conference, do you just go, well, you know, you'll get your stars on a Brooklyn, but... Do you consider 
like a Nick Claxton, if he gets 18 minutes a game and they go all the way to the finals. Someone like a Dante DiVincenzo, if the Bucks you think are going far. So that's kind of fun. Anywho, uh, thank you once again, as always, to our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Please do check them out. Use coupon code HOOPBALL20 when you make your purchase at Manscaped.com. Get yourself a lawnmower 4.0? Question mark? No, that's an exclamation point, folks. That's not the Ron Burgundy moment. It's a lawnmower 4.0. It's the lawnmower 3.0 with the ability to turn the light on and off as you shave, as you please, with a locking on-off mechanism for those who travel quite a lot, with a sleeker two-tone matte finish, and, of course, long-lasting 90-minute battery, pinch-free technology, waterproof technology, and all the great stuff that they've been putting in lawnmowers since the uh, 2.0, I believe. 1.0 even had the pinch-free. That's over at manscaped.com. Use coupon code HOOPBALL20. We want to keep our partnership with those guys going in perpetuity, and that means you guys need to keep checking them out and getting the good stuff. The good stuff, the best damn hair trimmer that has ever existed is at manscaped.com. Again, promo code there, HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 for 20% off and free shipping on your order. Today is uh, really lesson number two from a season gone by, and it ties into yesterday's lesson, but really... Those of you that have been listening to this podcast for re- any longer than this season, and that's many of you, the you'd know what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is we just got a full season's worth and I, and I hinted at this on yesterday's podcast as well. A full season's worth of data on how valuable it is to be durable. I saw a tweet flash by on Monday afternoon that there were only 11 players in the entire NBA, the entire NBA, who played all 72 games this year is that the damnedest thing i mean really is that the damnedest thing you've ever heard 11 and you can find a lot of them on the fantasy leaderboards because of how rare that is now it's not fair to just say that because a lot of guys took the last day of the season off or two games off and so uh, this season you're looking for folks that were basically at really at like 68 games or higher, but you could pare it down even to 70 or higher for this absurd upper crust of player durability. You guys have heard me on this podcast describe durability as the 10th category in nine category leagues because now we've, we're drafting, it's almost like pitching backwards. And they talk about pitching backwards in baseball, guys that throw their off-speed stuff most of the time and then... Zip a 90-mile-an-hour fastball by a big league hitter because after six breaking balls and change-ups, 90-mile-an-hour fastball looks like 115. We've flipped NBA drafting now, where even as recently as five years ago, you were avoiding guys that you thought were injury-prone. But between then and now, 
And it really started about five years ago with the San Antonio Spurs. Between then and now, we've seen player health, longevity. The needle has pivoted in the direction of a regular season game isn't that important. You want to make regular season games more important? Shorten the season. That's the only way you're getting it back, because finding teams is not going to do it. The only way you're going to get there is by actually creating a level of import on that game that doesn't currently exist. 72-game season this year, no one gives a crap about one game. It's whatever, like 1.5% of your overall schedule. That's nothing to preserve the health of your key players. It's nothing. It's even less in an 82-game season. It's like one and a quarter percent of your year. So, because you see so many guys sitting on back-to-backs, especially folks coming off of injury in any capacity, and older guys sit on back-to-backs, and guys on teams, veterans on bad teams, sit on back-to-backs because of a, a full-on why the bleep not mentality at that juncture, because we're not trying to win games anyway. And very good players on very good teams rest on back-to-backs because, ah, we're going to have a top-four seed anyway. We just want to make sure you're okay come playoff time. So you've got... And, by the way, compound that with the sort of less obvious but basically the same general phenomenon kind of thing of guys just... If they have a nagging injury of some kind, if their knee's a little sore, their foot's a little sore, their hand's a little sore, they'll just not play for a night. I'm not saying either of these is better or worse. There was an old school mentality that guys just played through everything. Those dudes can't walk anymore. Those dudes are like bionic platinum hips and ceramic whatevers. They're built out of science at this point. I don't want that. These players don't want that either. They're very right to worry about their health and their future because these guys are going to play basketball for a decade. And if they're the best of the best of the best, maybe two. And then they're going to be 40 and they're going to hope to live another 50 years without making a dime from playing basketball. Some of them might get into broadcasting, do other things that are sort of basketball adjunct. So, yeah, they parlayed that into a career. But a lot of these guys, after basketball, it's over. It's like, what now? Think about it. They make basically every dime they're going to make for their career in about a 10-year span. So when they're like, yeah, no, I'm not going to play through this injury because that might shorten my career by two years. That might be 20% of their lifetime earnings. They're right. They are 100% right to not push themselves in those instances. So that's the second part of that equation, which is the very obvious rest days is part part one or part A. Part two or part B is the rest days that aren't really rest days, but sort of still kind of are. And so that's why you look at... Look at the, the draft results of any one of your leagues, preferably Roto, And think about how many games you got out of some of these top guys. How many games did Anthony Davis play this year? 36. Now that was largely bubble related. Steph Curry. 
63, which is actually pretty good. Pretty close to league average there. James Harden, between the uh, the freeze out in Houston and the other stuff going on, 44 hamstring injury was part of it. 44. Carl Anthony Towns, 50. Dame and Nikola Jokic. Dame, 67. Jokic, 72. Your MVP, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. And so I would ask all of you, as sort of an instructional tool, to go back and figure out why. I'd say the top three rounds in particular are insanely important here. You might even extend it to the fourth round, but I don't think you need to, go, need to really go any farther than that. Because after you get that at, past that point, you'll take a little bit of chance in terms of health stuff. But you're handicapping games missed. The bubble, again, being what it was. Anthony Davis, you were probably handicapping to miss 10 to 12 games without whatever bubble after effects took shape. Steph Curry, you were probably handicapping him missing 8 to 10 ball games. That's exactly what he missed. Harden, it was hard, it was hard to know because he was still in Houston when you had your fantasy draft. You might have thought he was going to sit out 2-3 weeks before getting traded. I actually thought Cat was going to be pretty durable again this year because he missed a lot of last season, but he had the wrist stuff uh, early in the year, and then he played pretty well after that. Dame always playing through things. Jokic never gets hurt. He doesn't jump. Luka went seventh in one of the leagues I'm looking at. He's a guy who gets dinged up, tends to play through a lot of stuff, but he'll take a game off here and there. He didn't have quite the same opportunity to rest this season, largely because his team all had COVID. So he played 66 games. That was more than I expected out of Luka. He overperformed my handicap. Jason Tatum had been very durable prior to this point, but of course he got caught up in the Boston COVID stuff and he missed eight games this year. But it, it's less about... Well, let's finish the first round. Uh, Giannis went at nine in the league I'm looking at. He missed 11 ball games. Devin Booker played in most ball games. Not as beat up as everybody thought he was a few years ago. He was really just sitting games because uh, it didn't... Phoenix was terrible, so whatever. I uh, played in 67 games this year, Booker did, which was useful because he was a terrible first-round pick, but he managed to push himself into fourth-round territory thanks to durability. Trey Young had been extremely durable, missed nine games this year, including a really bad ankle sprain. He came back from pretty quickly. I think you can give him the 10th category. So just wrapping up the first round here, Kawhi, was, uh, he went 12th, and that one you're handicapping him missing a whole bunch of ball games, but he's been so damn good that Kawhi missed 20 games this year. He was still number nine by totals. That's how good he was. Because if you look at the, the, the per-game stuff, he was number six, uh, and the guys behind him were just about as beat up as he was. And really that was almost a footnote in a larger discussion really does highlight how important that 10th category really is. Because forget the draft order. Now just look at per-game nine-category rankings and the top 12 guys, Jokic, basically you had to be named Nikola, Jokic and Vucevic 
hit 70. Dame was at 67. Steph was at 63. And none of the other eight guys cleared 54 in the top 12. And it, uh, right now, Karai Thomas takes up the number 10 spot. So dump him out of there. That actually moves Bradley Beal into the 12 hole, and he played 60 games. So that would, I guess, tip it a little bit farther towards the okay side. That'd be 60 games, that's pretty close to league average, a little bit below it. But Miles Turner was right behind him, and he played 47 games this year. By the way, in 47 games, Miles Turner blocked like 150 damn shots. So, yeah, still kind of got there. The point of all of that is there are guys who were much farther down the board that had durability, that elevated them. And it's really important at the top of the draft in all formats. This is where I want this discussion to segue into. And at these shows right now, I know these off-season shows, there's really no obvious break point in what we're talking about. But the, the durability factor becomes less important for Roto Leagues with a games cap as you work your way down the board. Like a top 100 guy who plays every game is much more important in head-to-head because you don't have to replace that roster slot. You're not taking zeros out of Ennis Cantor or whoever is, you know, somewhere in the 90s who was quite durable this year. Andrew Wiggins, Ennis Cantor. Uh, you could even go a little farther down the board to like a Jordan Clarkson who played 68 games. Dad Young played 68 games. You catch my drift. Um, Justin Holiday played all 72 this year. And he was number 119 by average. But by total, and this is again, this is really where the head-to-head roto split starts to creep in. By totals, he was number 65. But in Roto, if you have all 72 games at a slot, you'd rather have a guy who's like number 80 playing 50 games, and then you could just piece the other 22 games in. In head-to-head, you don't get to make up the games that your guy misses the way that you actually do get to make make them up in Roto. So this discussion that we're having today which may, like many of our topics, carry into other days of shows here during the offseason. And we can go ahead and call today's show uh, Durability at the Top is fair. Durability everywhere, but really Durability at the Top. And this is why, as you're looking at some of these early round draft picks, there is a value, especially once you get out of the top, very few. Like, once you get past... Let's see, where where should we put our cutoff for this one? Once you get past about Dame, there was a little bit of a drop-off this year. Vooch, Cat, they were in another chunk, and then there was another drop-off again. So once you get into that second tier or third tier of guys, it even becomes more important. So it's it try to picture this curve with me, if you would. For the very top-most guys, it's important... But it's not as important because you could have taken, uh, trying to think of who among some of these these top most picks might have been. 
Uh, I mean, Cat underperformed on a per-game basis. Steph was about where you'd want him to be. Harden at five was not that far from where you wanted him to be. So, assuming that Harden isn't going to have another 44-game in the tank, if he if you're expecting him to miss 10 to 12 games, he'll still get to roughly where he needs to get to. The next group down... And this, by the way, that, the, all of these includes the guys like Kawhi Leonard and things of that nature as well. Uh, if you're in that group, if you can get the guy who plays the most games, you're in really good shape. Because if you can get a ton of games out of a guy who's already putting up fantastic per-game numbers, well, that's terrific. But if that guy does miss 10 games, like Steph did this year, missed about missed 9, is what we were talking about. He missed 9 games, but was putting up value up near the top of the pack he actually hangs on to basically where he was. In fact, he was number two by averages and by totals this year, precisely because he was so good on a per-game basis that, yeah, he missed a few games, but it actually didn't impact things all that much because a lot of the guys were sort of a tier below him. And yes, the difference between Steph and Jokic was huge, as we talked about on yesterday's show. There's like a second rounder separating a number one and number two guy by totals. But if you miss and you don't get that Perfect. Nikola Jokic is basically the perfect fantasy player this year. Durable and gigantic numbers. But those guys are so rare that you're almost never going to be able to pick them out. Don't beat yourself up about that, is what I'm saying. Even as far as like a Kawhi Leonard, who was number nine by totals because of how many games he missed. Those guys are fine. The ones you're getting crushed on are the ones in the next tier down that are also missing 10 games. So that was this year, uh, Giannis. I guess you could say Jason Tatum. He was at 64 games. Uh, Beal, who was at 60, which is tough because some of his stuff was injury and some of it was uh, Wizards-related things. Um, and and then and this list of players is going to bounce around a little bit as well. Uh, Paul George, who I was actually very high on, I thought he was going to have a bounce back year from all perspectives, and that didn't really happen. He was actually off to a really good start, and then he went through a prolonged shooting slump. Um, if Zach Levine doesn't miss three weeks with COVID, he probably isn't in that list. So you can. I think you could actually take him off of that board. Miles Turner, who had a great season but wasn't drafted as early, can also kind of come off of that area. Basically, the point I'm trying to make here, without citing too many examples, because we don't know if it's going to be the same from year to year, and as we handicap next season, we'll get into that. The point of all of this is that when you get into that next chunk of guys, maybe it's late first round, second round, even third round, you desperately need to be looking for durability. And here's the examples of that. Let me go to Yahoo's ADP. That's probably a good one to work off of just because it's fairly ubiquitous. Everybody can find it and everybody knows what we're working off of. The players that Yahoo suggested go in the second round this year were, and I'll give you a few names in front of the second round also. Here is the list of pre-ranks 10 through 25. Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, DeAndre Ayton, Paul George, John Collins, Russell Westbrook, Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons. Now, where did those guys end up on a totals perspective, and how did they get there? 
Booker, 50. Got there because he just wasn't good from a uh, per-game standpoint or really any standpoint. Jason Tatum was number eight by total, so he got the job done. Because in his young career, he actually has shown himself to be quite durable. LeBron James, off the bubble, not durable. Finished at 99. Kawhi Leonard, you knew he wasn't going to be durable, but you also knew that his per-game numbers were going to be better than where he was drafted, and those create a wash. Kevin Durant, so much risk. He finished at 84. Joel Embiid, a ton of risk. Luckily, he had an all-world per-game season, and so he actually got right around his ADP. Those things actually kind of canceled each other out. Not quite the way Kawhi's did, but close. Bradley Beal, similar. Had a very good season, outperformed his ADP on a per-game basis, missed 12 games, so that drove it back down. Adebayo, always durable, even off the long bubble run. Jimmy Butler, not durable at all, but had a great per-game fantasy season. DeAndre Ayton, got to his mark from durability. Paul George, missed his mark because of a lack of durability. John Collins, missed his mark because he wasn't as great. Not by that much, though, when all was said and done. Russell Westbrook missed his mark because he had a horrible first two and a half months this year. Donovan Mitchell got hurt, and that was a tough one to predict because he's actually been able to put up durability-level stuff. Kyrie Irving, monster per game, and then Ben Simmons, neither. Bad per game and bad durability. So the lesson from looking at all of this is that that group of guys, your second rounders, your late first to early third, and we could even go farther than that, ultimately. Uh, You can go through the third round also and look for guys that you know are going to be a bit more durable, like a Rudy Gobert, Zach Levine, Vooch. I mean, without COVID, Levine busts his ADP wide open. Uh, Chris Paul lately has been crazy durable. A little bit unexpected, but also happening. And there's almost like a one-to-one correlation. The durable guys beat their ADPs. The 10th category is turning out to be the most important one of all. All of these guys that we talked about, every durable one, with the exception of Devin Booker, beat their ADP. Tatum, at this point, I'm going to say anybody who played more than 62 games. That's about league average right now. So if you cleared 62 games, you were more durable than the average top 150 fantasy player. Devin Booker is the only one that I listed just now who didn't tie or beat their ADP in that list that I just rattled off. The only other one who who sort of didn't was Westbrook, and he was he did beat 62 games, so it's not fair for me to say the only one. Uh, but Russ didn't belong in the 20s anyway. That was that never was going to make any sense. Um and, and you can take this farther. Chris Middleton, ADP of 42, played in 68 games. He was number 18 by totals. Demonis Sabonis was at 62 games, beat his ADP. Jonas Valanciunas, 62 games, beat his ADP. No one else in the top 50 played 62 games or more. ADP, top 50 ADP, excuse me. Ja was close, but he also never belonged there. So that, it sort of screws up our example, but... He should have been going at 27 anyway. That was that was straight lunacy. But there were a lot of guys in there that had per-game numbers pretty close or even better than where they were at that didn't come close to hitting their ADP because they missed too many damn games. Freddie Van Vliet, 
basically hit his ADP in 52 games. And that actually brings us to the other half of this discussion. Not that we're only halfway through a podcast. We're actually pretty close to the end of this general area, which is, again, durability at the top. I need to rename this podcast. It's durability at the top or massive per game leap at the top. And you better be guaranteed that per game leap, which is basically impossible to do inside the top 10 or 11. There's almost nobody inside the top 12 where you can be like, oh, this guy's going to beat this number on a per game basis. The only one that does it every year is Kawhi Leonard. Every year he gets drafted at 10 through 12, and every year his per game numbers are better than that. I'm mostly talking about 13 through 36. Who in that 13 through 36 is a near lock to beat their mark on a per game basis without durability, but not a massive red flag? Kevin Durant was a massive red flag coming off of a season and a half of missed basketball. Who was someone coming into this year where they you knew they weren't going to play in all 72 games? There was just no chance, but they were definitely going to beat their per-game number. I'll give you the names that I think we had at the beginning of the year, and, and you guys might be able to correct me if I miss one or two. Uh, Jimmy Butler was probably going to beat 18 on a per-game basis, but we knew he was going to miss a bunch of time because he went deep into the bubble. But the question was how much time and how much was he going to beat 18 by? I wasn't willing to take the chance, but as it turned out, he had maybe his best per-game season ever. He was number eight this year. Scored more, had all of his steals and rebounds and assists, all that good stuff for Jimmy. He had a, he had a fantastic season, um despite missing 20 ball games. So that was one. Who was another one inside the top 36 that was almost guaranteed to beat their per game number? Kyrie Irving was another. He was drafted at 24. In a worst case scenario, he was going to be like 15 on a per game basis. And he did. He absolutely blew that out of the water, missed 18 games. But luckily, because he was so freaking good on a per game basis, he beat his ADP. Is there anybody else in the top 36? I figured Chris Paul, but do we need, we need to talk about him anymore? Vooch at 29, I figured was guaranteed to beat that per game mark, and he was number 11. And then I had Rudy Gobert on our old man list because he was getting drafted uh, towards the middle, late third round, which I thought was really super weird given everything that we knew about the guy up to this point. Um... I didn't know if he was going to beat that on a per-game basis, but I, I was pretty confident he was going to beat it on a totals basis, and that was the, the more the durability side. So exclude Rudy Gobert, because he was actually the other side of this one. I figured you were going to get durable, but not probably beat his, AD, or his, uh, his ADP versus per-game mark, if that makes sense. Vooch, I figured, was going to beat his per-game mark. I didn't know what kind of durability you were looking at on a team I thought was going to be tanking. So I was a little bit worried on that front, but I thought, you know what, whatever, we'll get like 60 games out of him. That'll be enough. And... Sheesh, that might be it. Um, Who was definitely going to beat their per-game mark in there besides Chris Paul? <sighs> Maybe Freddie Van Vliet. 
at 36, figured he was going to beat his per-game mark, because I thought Kyle Lowry was going to get traded this year. It didn't happen, but Freddie beat his per-game mark anyway, and we knew the durability was not going to be as good on that one. So that, really, again, this is about simplifying draft day. And the big lesson is, in your first three rounds, you draft either hyper-durable or someone who is guaranteed, and guaranteed is like 90% chance or better, to beat their ADP on a per-game basis, preferably on a team that's not tanking. And that's kind of how Freddie Van Fleet's season almost got completely screwed to pieces. So your durable guys, and this again is excluding kind of the top 10, because at that point you're just trying to make sure you get someone who's good. If you can get durable in there, even better. But you don't want to take any chances in that one. But really between like 11 and 36, those guys that you felt were either durable and fine would have amounted to Jason Tatum, oh, excuse me, durable and fine, plus outperforms ADP per game basis, definitely going to miss 10 to 12 games, but you hope not that many more than that. So the combination there would be Tatum, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, DeAndre Ayton. I thought Paul George was actually going to be more durable this year, so that was a whiff. Um, I don't I don't like Donovan Mitchell in the second round, even with the durability stuff, but he is a durability guy. If you could have gotten him a little bit later. Kyrie Irving, and then the three names we just talked about in the next round, which I lost the tab that was open on. Uh, Gobert, Vooch, um, Chris Paul, and Freddie Van Vliet. And you're like, Dan, what if those guys are gone? Yeah, okay. You know, you may have to venture out beyond that. But then the question becomes, do I take the next guy past Freddie Van Vliet that I feel really good about from a durability standpoint, which would have been like a Chris Middleton? Or do I target massive upside beyond that marker? I think the answer is probably no at that point because there just weren't that many guys past Chris Middleton that outperformed Some of the dudes we were talking about that really weren't even that great in the second round. Okay, so it's not like we go venturing out beyond this stuff. It's just that you look at these guys, you're like, okay, these are the guys that I'm targeting in the second round. These are the guys I'm targeting in the third round. Because I want my guys from those rounds to have totals values inside the top 20, if at all possible. That's what you should be hunting for. If all three, if your first three picks all are inside the top 20 at the end of the season, you're already in good shape. This is by totals, by the way. And if any of them, if you have two top 20 guys and a one top 10 guy, now you're really cooking with gas. The rest of your draft actually isn't that important at that moment. You can build around it. So, lesson number two from a season gone by, is rehashing one of our favorites, which basically states, don't take chances in the first couple of rounds. You're hunting for durability to roll up a ton of stats in 70 games, or you're hunting for a massive per-game upside where there's almost no way that they don't exceed their ADP on a per-game basis. And the last question to answer is, How does this separate Roto from head-to-head? And the answer is, in head-to-head, you lean more towards the durability side. In Roto, it's kind of a wash. It's kind of a wash. Because getting games out of really good players in Roto is good. 
yeah, you got 54 games out of Kyrie Irving. That's not a good example because he was drafted late in the second round. That actually worked out just fine. Um, You got, I don't know, 52 games out of Kawhi Leonard, and you were able to pack another 20 games into that roster slot, but that still might not get you to the other guys taken around there. Maybe it will. Or like Giannis, who missed 11 games. Really, simplifying this, just don't mess up your first round pick. And your second and third, you've got a choice. Durable, or massive per game upside. Or both, but not neither. Don't take that chance in the early rounds. Back at you Wednesday morning. This was Fantasy NBA Today, Tuesday edition, second day of the fantasy offseason. I am Dan Bespris. Hey, um, have fun watching the play-in games tonight. If you're going to bet something, do it with our buddies over at the Hoopball Wager Pass. Follow at Hoopball Gaming on Twitter because Brewski's been on a ridiculous run of late. We also have baseball plays all baseball season long, so nothing ends here at Hoopball. We are now a year-round operation. Great Tuesday to you all. I am Dan Baspris. I will talk to you Wednesday morning. See you later. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.